welcome you. Um, we are so glad that you are here and that this is a, a time that we get to share as a church family. Even if we're not in person, we get to share in spirit with one another. And so this morning, uh, I invite you into our time of worship and I encourage you, uh, hear what it is that said, um, pray uh, as we pray, worship in, in spirit and in truth. Uh, and the beautiful thing about it is no matter where we are, no matter what hill we meet on, no matter uh, what building we may be in, we get to worship the Father in spirit and in truth this morning. Um, there are some announcements I want to share with you. Uh, up here on the screen, you see that we uh, we have some online small groups that are currently going on uh, and our Wednesday night adult class. Those happen on Zoom. If you are interested in being involved in that, every Monday, Norma sends out links to uh, the activities that are going on uh, throughout the week, stuff that you can find online. Um, check your email. If you're not a part of the email list, I would encourage you to email office at newbergcofc.com and ask to be included on the email list. Norma can get you information, uh, send out the weekly bulletin to you. She can also send the midweek update and you'll receive all sorts of information uh, that helps you to stay connected even as we are apart from one another. Um, also, last week we announced our intention to start home groups. Now, home groups are different from small groups. Home groups are our Sunday morning meetings, and we have uh, several members in the church that have agreed to host home groups in their homes. Uh, these are groups of 12 to maybe 15, uh, depending on the size of the home, uh, it could be up to 20 people even. Um, we want to make sure that if you're missing uh, the opportunity to connect, for, uh, connect with others on Sunday morning, and I know many of us are missing that, we don't want anyone to feel alone. Uh, we want to foster fellowship and, and growth and relationship with one another. And so we are uh, starting these home groups and encouraging people to email, again, the office so that we can get you placed with one of the home groups. And we're going to take into consideration uh, the geography of where you and the home group happen to be. Um, and if you happen to know that someone is hosting a home group and you would like to be added to theirs, you can, you can make a request to be added to their home group. Um, all of that to say, uh, home groups are kind of the thing right now. Uh, while we wait for um, clearance to be able to be at the building as we consider the situation and the safety risks, uh, we, we are embracing uh, the first century tradition of meeting in one another's homes. And so, uh, again, I want to encourage you, reach out to the office and we will get you placed with a home group if you, uh, if you don't already have a home group. Um, this morning, we have uh, one of our home group members. We have a fairly small living room, and so uh, it's a little confined to, to the number of people that we can have. But uh, Nicole is in the other room with uh, Lorinda and our kiddos. Um, and so that's our home group. And maybe you've already started a home group, but we want to invite you, uh, if you haven't, if you're struggling to find that time of connection, to reach out and uh, request to be a part of a home group on Sunday mornings. Uh, we also have our virtual VBS uh, registration up online. You can find it on the website. Uh, I believe Norma has also sent out an email and will continue to send out emails for registration. Um, there are some really fun things that we are planning to put together, some uh, kind of VBS in a box that you can bring home and have all the craft items that you need and all the uh, direction that you need. 
there's going to be an online component to it and everything. But uh, register now, register early, because that gives us the opportunity to make sure we've ordered enough for everyone who wants to be involved. Um, so those are, those are our regular announcements that I wanted to share with you today. Um, I also just want to acknowledge today is Father's Day. Um, for those of us who are dads, uh, it's a, a, one of those awkward moments to be recognized for being a dad. But it's also it's a blessing uh, to be remembered by your children, by your spouse for being a father. Um, for those of us who, who are missing our fathers this morning, uh, it can be kind of a bittersweet day. Um, I know I, I lost my dad uh, 18, year, uh, yeah, 18 years ago, and uh, there are still days where it's difficult, and Father's Day can be a little bit of that for me. Um, maybe you never had a great relationship with your father, uh, but we have a father in heaven who loves us, who is the perfect model of what fatherhood looks like. And so uh, this morning, I think we can all celebrate Father's Day in our own ways, in our own unique ways, maybe celebrating our, our father here on earth, but all of us can celebrate our father who is in heaven. And so dads uh, who are, are raising their children up uh, to know and love God, uh, to be the kind of uh, people that Jesus wants them to be, we are thankful for you today. Um, for those of you that are, are maybe not dads, but you have fathered other, other people in the church uh, by being um, a, a role model to them, by loving them well, we want to thank you as well um, and, and just let you know how appreciated your influence is. Uh, thank you, fathers. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, move into our scripture reading uh, this morning, and then we will have uh, our lesson. Good morning, church. Today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and behold... I am with you all the days to the end of the world. May God bless the reading of his word. So last week we started a brand new, so last week we started a brand new series uh, that I've entitled Bad Yeast and we looked at this admonishment from Jesus to um, his disciples, avoid the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're initially a little bit confused and, and think that he's talking about like literal bread, but he makes it clear that what he's talking about is the teaching of the Pharisees, that there's a leaven, a yeast to their teaching that is destructive. It spreads through the rest of the teaching and makes it bad. Um, we talked a lot about how Jesus specifically admonishes to avoid that bad yeast, and I mentioned that this is going to be a little bit of a series. We're going to be looking at some, some bad yeast teachings that happened in the early church, uh, that, that the apostles were very uh, keen on striking down and, and making sure that the true gospel was clear, uh, that it was expressed and proclaimed without adulteration, without this bad yeast uh, fomenting awful things within our faith. Uh, but these things crop up again and again through Christian history. And so it's important for us to revisit how uh, sometimes bad teaching 
can work its way in and how important it is for us to avoid these bad teachings because when the yeast is bad, the bread that comes from the yeast is bad as well. So um, I want to go ahead and give you uh, a, a verse here that was just read, but just a section of that verse from Matthew. Um, up here on your screen, you can see it says, Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is what we call the Great Commission. It is something that the disciples are told to do, and there's more to it. You can go read it uh, in in the remainder of Matthew chapter 28. But I want to focus on this beginning part here. This is the Great Commission. It's what the disciples are sent to do. It is why they are called apostles. They're, are, they are ones who are sent with a message. And they go to, to proclaim that message. And the church today carries on the apostolic ministry of proclaiming the good news, of making disciples of all nations. That is our mission. It is the commission for us. It is the commission for the apostles in the first century. It is the commission for Christians who were new converts in the first century. It is the commission for all Christians at all times. This is something we are called to. So uh, this is Matthew's take on it. I want to share with you uh, two other takes on the Great Commission or this same admonishment. Mark says... In chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This is a big idea. All the world, the whole creation. And then Luke also has a commission. But Jesus says it has been written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. There is a common theme to these. Uh, in fact, uh, we, could, we could go into the Gospels in general and see that this idea of the Gospel being proclaimed in all nations is it's, it's peppered, uh, salted, uh, spread throughout all of the accounts of the Gospels. Uh, in John, we have, of course, the verse that I'm always quoting because we all know it pretty well. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world, the whole world, meaning all people, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the gospel for all people. And we talked about this all the way back in, uh, in the winter and fall months of the idea that the kingdom is not for just a few. It is a kingdom for all people. And so if it seems like I'm harping on this idea, it's, it's because I am. We're going to come back to this idea over and over again because this is one of the core messages of the gospel. And without this message, the gospel isn't the gospel. It's, it's so important for us to understand that when you adulterate even a small part of the gospel, when you privatize it and, and take away uh, the, the full truth of the gospel, it ceases to be the good news. Now, it might be good news for a handful of people. It might be good news uh, for you personally. But if you remove even a part of the gospel, it's no longer the 
good news. The truth that changes the experience of life for all of humanity, the experience of eternity for, for all those who believe in the name of Christ. And so I want to, I want to share with you just this screenshot here, or this, this uh, uh, collection of, of verses. All the nations, all the world, the whole creation, to all nations. These are the things that are highlighted in these verses. There is a completeness here an inclusive language that is used to describe those for whom this is good news. And it would seem like that language would be really hard to ignore. But there are a lot of people throughout history, and even in the early church, and even among the apostles, who struggled with this message. And I want to talk about that this morning. Um, there is a temptation on our parts to think that when we talk about uh, inclusiveness, when we talk about reconciliation, not just racial reconciliation, but reconciliation between uh, uh, family members, reconciliation between humans of different um, uh, belief systems, uh, individuals who come from, uh, from different backgrounds, that reconciliation uh, is, is a part of the gospel. Now, to be clear, Jesus says that the gospel can divide. It can cause division among people, specifically because there are going to be people outside of the faith, people who reject the gospel, who will not allow peace to be formed with people who believe the gospel. That's, that's a true statement, something that Jesus makes very clear. But we are called to something greater. Those of us who are a part of the kingdom of God are called to carrying out the mission of a gospel that includes all people or is for all people that believe in the name of Christ. So I want to share this with you. Um, this is, this is a, a statement that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to read it to you, and then I want to discuss for a little bit why this is so important. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, a lot of translation. I like this translation, um, and I'm, I'm going to explain why, but I also I have another part of it that I think... Uh, most translations struggle with. If you notice, it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. There are some translations that will translate this as a worldly perspective. We don't regard them from a worldly perspective. Um, and that's an okay translation. But this idea of according to the flesh, that's the literal wording of this passage. Uh, the things that are attributable to a body, we don't regard those. As Christians, and the things that per pertain to the fleshy bits of the world. When when I look at you, my job is not to see uh, see you and regard you in the way that your flesh might have been regarded before I came to Christ. That Jesus doesn't look at us and regard us according to our flesh, 
and we are not supposed to regard one another according to the flesh. Which means we don't respect someone more because of their flesh, and we don't dismiss someone more because of their flesh. And this is a tension that we see throughout history, that there, there is, and, and to this day remains, tension in people's hearts because of the color of a person, because of uh, the shape of a person, because of the physical ability or handicap of a person, because of the mental aptitude that a person may have or not have. And Paul tells us that is not the way that we are called to approach relationship with one another in the church. Indeed, it's not the way that we as members of the church are called to approach relationship with anyone. That we don't regard people according to the flesh. No one according to the flesh. Now, sometimes we're good about this within the church. Uh, we, we uh, well, that's my brother, and, and, you know, he may have a different skin color than me, or he may uh, be in a wheelchair, but I, I, he's my brother, and I love him, and that doesn't change anything about how much I love him. But also, at times, we are really bad about how we apply this to people outside of the church, because maybe they are in a situation that we regard from the flesh, We're not called to do that. We're called to see people from a different perspective. In fact, this is where this translation I I struggle with. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, if you look at your Bible, most translations say he is a new creation. But that's not the full context of this passage here. It's part of it. Indeed, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You're something brand new. It's a new birth. You are not the old man. In fact, we're told that the old man that goes into the water dies, and what comes out is something new. It's remade in the image of Christ. You are, if you are born into Christ through baptism, a new creation. But this passage here actually says in the Greek, behold, creation is new. If anyone is in Christ, behold, a new creation. That means that our eyes do not see the world as the old creation. We we see things for the way that they can be if they have been redeemed. We are looking on people with the eyes of a new creation. This is all so important. Last week, uh, or rather a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the idea of uh, the, the day of Pentecost when uh, these men start speaking in foreign languages. These tongues of fire appear over their heads and they start speaking in foreign languages. Or rather, all of the people in the room hear what they're saying in their own language. And this goes all the way back to this moment in Genesis where uh, people have built up a tower and they have decided that they're going to defy God and shake their fist at the sky essentially and say, yes, you've told us to spread out, but we're going to choose to build a great tower and people will regard us as great. And God throws confusion into them and and gives every single one of them a different tongue, a different language, a different uh, speech 
and they don't understand one another, and they're divided as a result of it. Of course, human division is not just over language. If we go back to uh, the story of Cain and Abel, we see that there is division in the heart of, of brothers who can speak the same language, who come from the same father and mother, but they divide one another over their differences. And specifically, they divide one uh, from one another over, over God's approval of them. Humanity has, from the very beginning, sought division. It's, it's the unfortunate reality that we oftentimes have trouble seeing one another as God intended us to see one another. Paul here is telling us in the kingdom of heaven, as we embrace the gospel, there is no room for any of that. That we cannot regard one another from a worldly perspective, from the flesh, from the language that we speak, from the things that are only about our physical bodies. But this is something that was struggled with, even by the apostles. And so I want to read to you, it's not going to be up on your screen this morning, uh, but I want to read to you from Galatians chapter 2. You see, uh, Paul, Paul begins his ministry by ministering to both Jews and Gentiles. In fact, this is what he says he was called to. Um, if, you, if you look at uh, uh, Galatians chapter 2 in verse 9, uh, or rather in verse uh, 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's uh, a word that would be used to describe uh, a physical difference between Gentiles and Jews. Uh, Gentiles were generally not circumcised and Jews were circumcised. And so when you read the word uncircumcised in the New Testament, it's usually talking about Gentiles. uh, I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. So Paul's ministry was to those who were not of Jewish background. Peter's ministry was, generally speaking, to those of a Jewish background. The circumcised and the uncircumcised and the circumcised. Get them in the right order here. And this works pretty well. Paul has success in converting people who are Gentiles to a belief in Jesus. But there's a problem. So uh, we're going to use a name here. It's Cephas. And Cephas is, uh, it's, it's the Greek name uh, for Peter. It's uh, the Latinized name that Peter would have gone by. Um, in verse 11, Paul tells a story about a struggle that Peter has with not regarding people from the flesh. And it says this, But when Cephas came to Antioch, the place where Paul was ministering, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Now remember, Paul thinks this is a good thing. Eating with the Gentiles is a good thing. That's what we're called to do because we don't regard them as Gentiles if they, you know, they, they, are, they are human beings. And if they're believers, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, these certain men, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, that's a scary title, the circumcision party. Uh, I wince when I read it a little bit. Uh, This is a group of people who believe that only those who are circumcised really belong to the kingdom of heaven. And Peter has given up fellowship with the, the Gentiles because he's afraid of this group that essentially wants to reserve the kingdom of heaven just for the Jews. Or those who are willing to submit themselves in the flesh to Jewish custom. To look more like the Jews. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas, now Barnabas is an important figure. He travels with Paul. He goes all over the place and and he is known as the son of encouragement. His his role in the early church is to lift people up, build them up. and, And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. you can see immediately why this teaching was so dangerous. This teaching says there are people that the gospel is not for. If they're not like us, the gospel is not for them. Now, maybe some some part of the gospel is for them, but they're not full members of the gospel, and we're not going to treat them like full members of the gospel. These, these, what Paul ends up calling Judaizers, twist the gospel to be something that it's not. And even good men who believe the truth of the gospel, who have in fact participated in the ministry of the gospel, begin to behave in ways that they shouldn't behave. this is verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? If in your own flesh you're not going to keep this, how, how do you expect the Gentiles to do it so that they can have salvation? We want so desperately to know the truth of the gospel. And sometimes we hear it and we embrace it and, and we live it. And then something comes along. Uh, some, some loyalty that we have in our hearts to a group of people uh, or to a, a way of thinking or a system. That that system speaks to us so loudly that we give up on the truth of the gospel, which is unfortunately, in this moment at least, what Peter and Barnabas and many of the other Jewish background Christians in Antioch did. And this is, this is something that happens over and over and over again in history. Where we decide that we want Jesus and this other thing 
And when we do that, this other thing oftentimes covers up the truth of the gospel. It diminishes the gospel. It makes it less than what it should be. And I'm going to tell you right now that there is a temptation in our world today to do exactly this with with, uh, the inability to feel compassion for those who are different from us, who are unlike us in fleshy ways, in in the skin. It's it's uh, confession time. After 9-11, I had fear of people who looked like Middle Eastern individuals who had been involved in the hijacking of airplanes. And for a period of time, that allowed me, in my mind, to regard them from the flesh and not share the gospel with them. Now, I grew up in Roseburg, Oregon, and there are not a lot of Middle Eastern people that live in Roseburg, Oregon. Uh, there, there are uh, not a lot of individuals that I had contact that were with that were like that. But for many years after, I struggled in not seeing individuals who were brown, of, of Eastern descent, from that perspective, from a fleshly perspective. And it took going to Guyana, where I, I encountered a whole bunch of people who were of uh, Indian background, Muslim background, uh, who had uh, no connection to uh, uh, Western Christianity other than kind of a passing, uh, uh, passing, glancing moments with it, uh, to come to realize how wrong that thinking was. And I spent an entire uh, two-week period of time ministering to people who looked like, in many ways, people from the East, people who grew up in Muslim backgrounds. And as I spent time with them, my, my vision was changed. And I began to see them not from a fleshly perspective, as I dined at their tables, literally dined at their tables, uh, as I sat in their homes and shared the good news of the gospel with them, as I listened to their stories, what I heard was the common faith, not, not the common faith, the common reality of our humanity that allowed them to come to faith. My experience and their experience, though different, shared many common moments, many, many common themes Love for our families, hurt over loss, uh, suffering and pain, sickness, uh, health, joy, sorrow, all of these were common to us. And I began to see them not from a fleshly perspective, but from the perspective of what Christ wanted to do in their lives. And this is not something great about me. This is something great about God, that he changed my heart so that I could regard them through his eyes. I didn't accomplish this. This isn't something I did. This is Christ working in me. Because honestly, without Christ, I would probably still be very fearful, very prejudiced, very uh, uh, judgmental. I would probably still be struggling with seeing people 
not from a fleshly perspective, but from, from a spiritual perspective. Indeed, I don't think I could see them from a spiritual perspective outside of my belief in Christ. And I tell you, I'll tell you this. If you, if you can't see people from Christ's perspective, if you can't get past the flesh, you're going to really struggle with this next part. Because back to 2 Corinthians, this is what Paul tells us our entire task as Christians is. The, the reason that we are and we, we continue to be who we are. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God's task in this world, Jesus' reason for being was to bring people back into relationship with God, to, to have the closeness, the oneness that he so longs for and desires. Uh, this, is, this is why Jesus entered the world, so that no one would perish. For Christ did not come to judge the world, to condemn the world, but to save the world. And the ministry of the gospel the thing that we are called to is that same reconciliation. And if we can't reconcile in our hearts, if we can't cast aside the things that separate us from one another, how can we possibly reconcile others to God? If we can't have right relationships, we can't be ambassadors of Christ. As Christians, we need to look at our hearts and we need to ask, do I regard people from the flesh? And this is not just about skin color. I know that that is a, a big, big issue in our country right now. It's, it's the thing that many of us are focused on. It is, it is a debate within our society it is, it is something that people struggle with articulating. It is something that we, we find is causing further division as we argue about and debate uh, phrases like Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. Skin color is one of the things that we have trouble not regarding people from. But we also regard people from their state of poverty. We also regard people from their educational background. We regard people from their weight. We regard people from their age. We regard people from, from their mental capabilities. And we choose not to interact with them because we're uncomfortable. Because that uneducated person over there makes me feel uncomfortable. 
because that that person over there who is is overweight makes me feel uncomfortable because that person over there who is uh, uh, mentally challenged facing a handicap of some kind, I am uncomfortable being around them because that person over there who is a different skin color from me, I am uncomfortable being around them. And we all have some bias in our heart, maybe not in our heart, some bias that's in our mind that's been instilled in us in some way by the systems of this world that we need to overcome. We need to allow Christ to work on us in such a way that all of these barriers are set aside so that we can reconcile ourselves to others and by doing so, we can reconcile them to God. We can serve in the relationship, the, the, the ministry of reconciliation that God has given to us because, again, This is a ministry not to some of the world, not to a few of the nations, not to part of creation. It is to all people, all nations, all of creation. And it is our job to be prepared to share this good news with all. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are imperfect and you are perfect. But you are making us perfect. We are clay and you are a potter and you can form us if we are willing to be formed. And Father, there are a lot of rough spots in each of our hearts. There there are a lot of... uh, cracks that need to be filled. There are a lot of uh, broken pieces that need to be put in place. And we can't do that, but you can. And so, Father, I pray this morning for each one of us to be opened to uh, the, the ways in which we have put up barriers or allowed barriers to continue to exist that prevent us from sharing in the ministry of reconciliation. Because if we don't share the good news with everyone, it is not the good news. Not the good news. Help us to be more like you. Help us to set aside our our, uh, allegiances to uh, people and things of this world that would, would foster and encourage division. Help us to embrace just Jesus. The good yeast that makes us more like him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to thank you all for uh, for listening this morning. Um, I got a little heated today. My, like, literally, my body temperature is rising. But I think that this message... Is, is one that crops up so often, this, this struggle crops up so often in church history where for whatever reason we fail to see people as, as potential members of the kingdom of heaven, as individuals created in the image of God that God wants to reconcile to himself and we see them as enemies or the other. And, and I don't want any of us to see one another or people in the world from that perspective.
Um, all of that said, we're going to move into our time of communion. Uh, Stan is going to bring us uh, our communion thought today, um, and I invite you to to uh, listen along with him and uh, and let's let's enjoy communion as a body together. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Stan and Donna. We're here to present to you today the, a communion talk that we'd like to share. Donna and I, as you can see, were married maybe uh, like 41 years ago. Is that right, Donna? Yes. 41. So in 41 years ago, the two of us became one. And isn't it interesting as the church, all of us have become one in Christ Jesus. So I think we have a lot to pray for and praise him for that, that we are one, we're the body, and he is the head of over us. So thank you for being here today to share communion. Don and I, in our uh, life together, we've lately, we really enjoyed watching and hearing videos on Christian singing. And there's a number of songs that we've enjoyed, but there's one we'd like to share today not in singing, but in in uh, praying the song that was written. And it's called, My Redeemer Lives. And it was sung by Nicole Mullins. And I think it has a lot to do with the communion that we're going to have today. So let me pray the words that she presented in this song. Let us all pray. God Almighty, you taught the sun where to stand in the morning. You told the ocean you can only come this far. You showed the moon where to hide till evening. Your words alone can catch a falling star. You are the very same God that spins things in orbit. You run to the weary, the worn and the weak. And your gentle hands that hold us when we're broken, you conquer death to bring us victory. Now we know our Redeemer lives. Let all creation testify. Let this life within us cry to take away our shame. And Jesus lives forever, we will proclaim that the payment for our sin was the precious life he gave, but now he's alive and there's an empty grave. We know our Redeemer lives because he lives, we can face tomorrow. We know our Redeemer lives. Now let me pray for the bread. Thank you, God, for this time we have as your family to celebrate this meal together, to take the bread as Jesus did, to give thanks and do this in remembrance of Jesus and his body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Let me continue in prayer. Thank you, God, that we can take this cup to remind us of the new covenant in Jesus' blood. For whenever we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim Jesus' death until he comes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank Stan and Donna uh, for sharing with us this morning. I think uh, the the beautiful thing about what Stan said, this idea that we, uh, in sharing in the bread and cup, we are remembering the body of Christ, but we are also remembering the body of Christ. There's the body that belongs to Jesus specifically, and then we are the body of Christ. That we are one flesh, and that we are one in what we share. That uh, that we. We regard each other equally as members of the body. Um, I want to come back to one idea really quick. Uh, maybe this is the the charge uh, portion of things. Um, Paul does recognize the the qualities that make pers- people Jews and Gentiles. And one of the reasons that his ministry is so effective in the New Testament is that he does see who they are as unique individuals. And he often speaks to groups of people from the reality of the world in which they live and their background. We, we can't claim to be, well, I don't see color. I don't, I don't see uh, race. Um, I'm colorblind. Uh, that's a nice sentiment, uh, but it's it's not how Paul operated. Paul saw people for who they were, for the reality of their existence, and he ministered to them by approaching from that direction. But he didn't treat them as less because of the background that they came from, because of their color, or because of the the quality of being circumcised or uncircumcised. Uh, how, how he would observe that is a, a question. Uh, but the truth is, Paul recognized the unique experience of all individuals, that everyone has a unique experience in this world, but there are common experiences as well. There are, there are core truths to human existence that Paul speaks to, and that humanity is searching and longing for the truth of God. We are called to do the same, and we can't, we can't speak to the reality of another person's truth if we don't see them for who they are, if we don't empathize with the struggles that they have, and if we don't ask questions to better understand their perspective. We can't possibly speak the truth to them if we don't know the truth of their life and their experience. And so I want to encourage us all as, as we attempt to share in this ministry of reconciliation, be prepared to open our eyes to the reality of the differences that we experience. But we don't 
we don't regard one another from those experiences. We regard one another from the potential of new creation. Um, Peter comes around in the end. In fact, all of the apostles eventually come around to uh, this belief. In fact, uh, there, there's debate about if this, uh, this story in, second, uh, or in Galatians chapter 2 uh, is right before or shortly after the Jerusalem council. I think it comes before. And in the Jerusalem council, they all decide, no, Gentiles can be a part of the church and there's only a handful of things we're going to hold them to. Um, we need to be prepared to have changes of heart. Because that's what Christianity is all about. Christ changing our hearts so that we can be more like him. Um, we are going to uh, uh, have our singing portion of things today. And I want to let you know, there are two songs in here that are going to sound different than some of the other songs that we've done uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, generally speaking, praiseandharmony.tv has been our source for music. Uh, we have uh, uh, entered into an agreement, an arrangement with them to be able to rebroadcast their recordings, and it's been fantastic that we've been able to do that. Uh, but Jesse uh, has picked out some songs for us this week, and two of them were not available from Praise and Harmony. Uh, one of them is very familiar to all of us, and the recording you're going to hear is actually from a Fifth Sunday Singing uh, in in the uh, northern Oregon uh, uh, Willamette Valley uh, area. Um, the other is uh, a recording of a song that I'd not heard until this week. And uh, it's one that when we are all back together, I hope we sing on a regular basis. Uh, and so um, when you hear two songs that sound somewhat different than what we've come to expect, uh, let's, uh, you know, not be thrown by it uh, because I think that there's some, some real value in these songs. Um, and so I thank Jesse for picking them out. Uh, let's sing. <laughs> 